We are in week number six of a seven-week series. We started right after Ash Wednesday. We started on February 18th in a new series called Resolute. It comes from Luke's Gospel in chapter 9 where it says that Jesus, knowing that his time here was short, that he was going soon to ascend into heaven, it says that Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. And now the time has come. He has arrived. He is coming into Jerusalem. And great events are about to happen. Jesus is going to fulfill the mission for why he came. Before we uh, continue, let's uh, pause for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up your son Jesus today. We want to see him in his glory for who he really is. And Father, we pray that as we study your word and the events of the final week of Jesus' life, Lord, let us see even more clearly uh, the great love, the grace, the majesty that you have. And we pray, Father, that we'd see it and understand it, and Lord, that it would transform us from the inside out. Make us more like your son, Jesus. Lord, fill us with the joy that comes from knowing that you love us and you've made a way for us to be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So as Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem, he is now coming down from the Mount of Olives, right? So he, it, this is on Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. You're going to see from a scripture in John's gospel in just a moment. But it says in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, it says, they brought it to Jesus, meaning the colt, and they threw their cloaks on the colt, this uh, child of a, a donkey, and they put it, Jesus, on the colt. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. You remember that it was only a few weeks before that Jesus, only two miles outside of Jerusalem in the village of Bethany, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And that news had spread, and Jesus is extremely popular. And so the people began to sing and, uh, and to joyfully proclaim, they said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Quoting from Psalm 118, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And in John's gospel, it says, The great crowd that had come for the festival, talking about Passover, the great festival the Jews gathered every spring to celebrate. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and so they took palm branches, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And so Jesus found a young donkey. He sat on it as it is written. And do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. So Jesus is now at the height of his popularity among the Jewish people. Unfortunately, as we will see, that popularity did not last. Indeed, what happens next is the greatest event in all of the world's history. Jesus gathers together with his followers, his friends, his best friends. And yet as he sits at the meal that we call Passover... He becomes troubled deep in his spirit. He's sad 
Because he knows that one of his very own, one of his followers, one of his friends will betray him. Jesus knows it's Judas. And so he turns to him and he says, go and do what you will do. And then he gathers together with his followers and they sit and they take the last supper together, the Passover feast. And he says to them, it won't be much longer that I will be with you. For Satan is approaching and he is going to do a work. But I will do what the Father has called me to do. And setting his face resolute to obey his Father, he takes one step closer to the cross. Jesus asks his followers to go with him because he is grieving and he is troubled. And he says, let's go to the Mount of Olives and together let's pray. Jesus bowed and got on his knees. He set his face toward heaven and with incredible, incredible pain that the Bible tells us he passionately requested that his father would help him, help him to do what he knew he was called to do. He even began to sweat drops of blood. But Jesus knew where his strength came from. And so once again, he set his face resolute to do the will of his father. And again, he took one step closer to the cross. Suddenly, he heard it. The boots of the marching soldiers who were coming to take him. The torches began to light the dark night. And Jesus didn't look away. He actually stepped forward toward them. And he said, it's I that you are coming for. Leave them alone. Let them go. And in doing that, Jesus protected his friends. He protected you and he protected me because he allowed them to bind his hands. He allowed them to take him to trial for something he did not deserve, for something he never did. Jesus is perfect. Jesus was sinless. And so he went. And he took one step closer to the cross. Jesus was put on trial before Pontius Pilate. And he didn't plead his case. He remained silent before his accusers. You see, Jesus was perfect. Jesus had never sinned. Now, I may be a leader in the church, but I've sinned. I sin every day. I deserve the punishment that Jesus was about to take for me. 
No one on this earth has ever been perfect except the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. And before his accusers, he was silent. And he took those final steps to the cross. And on this dark day, we see Jesus bound. We see him mocked. We see him accused of something he never did. We see him nailed to a cross, the most horrid of punishments any of the worst criminals could ever experience. Jesus could have stopped it. Jesus could have called down angels from heaven and pleaded with his father to get him out, but he didn't for one reason and one reason only. Like I said, I've sinned. I deserved that punishment. But Jesus stayed on that cross for me. He took my sin and my punishment upon himself. Jesus hung on that cross and stayed on that cross for you. Whether you know him as Lord and Savior or not, Jesus stayed and took the punishment for you because he loves you that much. And then from that horrible cross, he does speak words to his father. It is finished. And after six hours of grueling torture, the son of God bows his head and dies for my sin and for yours. But that is not the end of the story. No, indeed, it is not the end of the story. But before we get to the resurrection, which we're going to talk about next week, let's backtrack in the story a little bit. Let's backtrack to the point where Jesus is standing on trial before the Roman governor, before Pontius Pilate. And we find that there is another character in this story, a character that doesn't seem to be very well known, but it is a character that is very important because we're going to talk about a man named Barabbas. Barabbas is known as the man who missed his cross. Look at what the scripture says in Luke's gospel, or in Matthew's gospel, excuse me. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. And at that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Can you believe that? His name, his first name was the same name as Jesus, our Savior, So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew, Pilate knew that it was out of self-interest, it was out of envy that the Jewish leaders had handed Jesus over to him. And so Pilate uh, is trying to release Jesus. He's trying to let Jesus go. And he comes up with this idea. And the idea was, there was a a custom at the time. It was a, a custom among the Romans to allow a prisoner to go free. So it says um, in Luke's gospel, if we want to back up a slide, it says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and he said to them, talking about Jesus, after Pilate had now examined Jesus and asked him questions and gotten answers, are you a king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, but my kingdom is not of this world. And so Pilate says, 
I, I cannot find this, this man guilty. And so he, he says, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I found no basis for your charges against him. Neither is Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see, and he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. And then what the crowd says there's a turn in the story, and this crowd was incited, I believe, by the Jewish leaders because they absolutely were committed to put Jesus to death, and the Jewish leaders were not allowed to put Jesus to death. Only the Romans had the authority to execute a criminal for their crimes and put them to death. So upon the instigation of the Jewish leaders, it says the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, talking about Jesus, away with Jesus, Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection and for murder. So who was this man, Barabbas? Barabbas was known as an enemy to Rome and to the empire, but to the Jewish people, it was very likely that Barabbas was known as a hero. Ironically, Barabbas was really guilty for the crimes for which Jesus was accused. His name, Jesus Barabbas, is significant for besides sharing the first name as Jesus our Savior, Barabbas is an Aramaic word that means son of the father. Can you believe that? Son of the father. Now, we know that Jesus, that's his identity. He is the son of our heavenly father, of God himself. Barabbas was called son of the father, probably meaning that Barabbas was the son of a well-known Jewish rabbi in Israel at the time. But instead of following his own father into the family business, if you will, of being a rabbi, Barabbas became a revolutionary. He became a zealot, an insurrectionist. To the Romans, he was known as a domestic terrorist, and he deserved to die a painful death. Now, in Matthew's account, Jewish leaders, they already knew about the annual custom that the Romans had the deal they made with the Jewish leaders that said, okay, every Passover season, Rome is going to be kind. We're going to show mercy. We're going to allow one of the criminals that is scheduled to be executed, and we're going to allow one of those criminals to go free. It's amazing to think of that this being a gesture of goodwill, a gesture of mercy, it's amazing to think that this actually came from the Roman government. They are not known for their mercy and their goodwill. And so the Jewish leaders, they were ready to make their pitch to Pontius Pilate. Of course, what they say is, hey, uh, yeah, we have Jesus the Messiah here, and we have another uh, criminal that is in jail awaiting execution. His name is Barabbas. And so instead of releasing Jesus, we would much prefer you to release Barabbas to us. Barabbas, they answered. So then Pilate comes back and he says, so then what do you want me to do with Jesus here, who's called the Messiah? And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Do you, you can, as you read the Gospels, you can see the attempt, at least, that the Roman governor, governor is making to try to release Jesus, to try to not see him executed, because he knew that Jesus was not guilty of the crimes for which he was accused of by the Jews. So he says, why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Now, I want you to, to stop and use your mind's imagination, and I want you to imagine yourself 
as this man Barabbas in these moments. You've been a revolutionary. You've been fighting the Roman occupation of Israel and Jerusalem. You have killed Romans, most likely Roman soldiers, and then you get caught. And you are guilty, and you are sentenced to die for your crimes. And as you're sitting in your jail cell, bound in these chains, awaiting your own execution, this jail cell that Barabbas was sitting in was in the Roman fortress known as Antonia. It was not far from the place where Pilate was standing there examining Jesus before the Jewish leaders where Jesus was on trial. It was not that far away. It's not likely that Barabbas could hear the conversation between Pilate and Jesus and the Jewish leaders, but it is very possible that when the crowd was yelling something, Barabbas could hear what they were yelling. So you have to imagine this. Uh, when Pilate presented the crowd with the option of pardoning Jesus for Passover and the Jews incited the crowd to ask for Barabbas instead, that Barabbas could hear his own name spoken. He couldn't hear Pilate ask, well, then, what do you want me to do with Jesus? Or, or who would you rather have me release to you? Do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? He couldn't hear that part of the conversation. But here's something that Barabbas could hear. Barabbas! So he's like, whoa, they're yelling my name. What's going on? So Barabbas is hearing his name yells, and then he couldn't hear what Pilate's next question was, which was, well, then what do you want me to do with Jesus? But Barabbas could hear the next words being yelled by the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. So what are the, the, the main words that Barabbas hears as he's in the jail cell? Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. And so you can imagine that Barabbas believes, well, that's it then. This is the end for me. This is the day that I'm going to die. And the truth is, friends, each one of us is like Barabbas. We all deserve to die for our sins. We've been imprisoned by our past. We are condemned for our low road, hurtful, selfish choices that we've made in our lives. And we are sentenced as well for our high-minded pride and our self-sufficiency. And a holy and righteous God justly finds us guilty. And so we too sit in our cell awaiting the punishment to come. That's certainly what Barabbas did. He sat on the floor, chained to his cone, his cold stone cell, awaiting his final moments of life. He could hear the executioner's footsteps echoing down the hall and hanging his head low. Barabbas didn't even look up as the guard opened his cell door. He cringed as the guard began to speak because he knows what the guard is going to say to him. Barabbas, stand up. It's time for you to pay for your crimes. There are three crosses that were prepared up on that hill outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha, what we also know as Calvary. And Barabbas knew that one of those three crosses was designated for him. And then the door swings open and the guard yells, get out. And so Barabbas is awaiting his fate, knowing he's about to die, about to go to his end on a cross. And just then, completely caught by surprise, completely caught off guard, Barabbas hears the guard say, say to him, Barabbas, you are free to go. And he can't believe it. And then he hears the guard say, 
say to him, they took Jesus instead of you. And then shackles removed, Barabbas walked into the morning sun, his crimes pardoned, and with each uncertain step as he left the jail cell and he left the fortress of Antonia, Barabbas must have been wondering to himself, what just happened? Why was he going free, a criminal? I'll tell you what just happened. Grace just happened. Christ took his place. And the truth is, friends, Christ took your place as well. The Bible affirms this in both the Old and the New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says, The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, on Jesus. In Peter's letter, in 1 Peter, he echoes the same truth. He says, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. This is what Chuck Swindoll, a famous American pastor, now in Texas, used to live in Fullerton, where I used to live. I heard him preach live a number of times. Chuck Swindoll writes, Barabbas missed his cross because another man took his place. Jesus hung on the cross intended for Barabbas, just as he hung on that cross in our place. Like Barabbas, we were dead in our trespasses and sins until Jesus' crucified body, until he released the blood of the substitutionary atonement. And like Barabbas, we were condemned to die until Jesus took our place. Like Barabbas, we too have been set free. And that freedom we have lasts for all eternity. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, took the place of Barabbas, the rebel criminal. Jesus didn't have to do it. Why did he go to the cross? He went to the cross out of great love, out of great hope, and out of great faith. Greater love, Jesus says, has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. The Bible says, and he, Jesus, died for all. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The gospel story put in its smallest nutshell is basically this. Jesus comes to you and to me and he says, I died for you. Now, will you live for me? That's the challenge that he has for us all. And friends, if you have committed your life to follow Jesus, if you've trusted him to save you, then you too, like me, have missed your cross. You too have great reason to rejoice and no great reason to shout hallelujah next Sunday when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection and the victory over sin and death. But friends, if you do not yet know him today, today could be your day. Today could be the day that you would have that same amazing feeling of relief and of joy and of happiness because you too can miss your cross. You too can miss out on the judgment and separation that comes from our rebellion against God. You too have the ability today to join that company of the redeemed. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to take that step toward God? Are you ready to say yes to Jesus today? If you are, 
Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And friends, whether you're here in the room today or whether you're listening via live stream, I just want to ask you that question. Are you ready? Are you ready to follow Jesus, the one who gave his life for you? Sitting in that jail cell of your life, sitting there awaiting judgment, knowing that, that we and you have done things that have offended a holy God, and yet knowing that Jesus took your place when he gave his life on the cross for you. Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are the Son of God, that you are the Savior of the world, that you gave your life on Calvary. You went willingly to the cross for us so that we could be forgiven. And Lord, in my heart, I ask you to come in. I give you my life. I commit my life to following you. I say yes to you being the leader and the forgiver of my life. And for the rest of my life, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Lord, if you are willing to die for me, then I am willing to live for you. Thank you for such a great salvation, Lord. And if you've already committed your life to follow Jesus, then I just remind you of what that scripture says, that those who know that Christ died for us, then we should no longer live for ourselves that we need to recommit our lives to live fully for Jesus and to spread his good news to everyone who's still outside God's family. Lord, help us to do that today. Help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit because you said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Help us to do that today, to spread your love and your grace and your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.